you remember the children's book when you were growing up about the family of bears? The Berenstein Bears. Berenstein started noticing some things. And like what kind of things? We're living in parallel universes. Can you picture the Monopoly man? Yeah. What's on his face? Monocle. Apparently, it's never been the case. The Mandela effect. Either we're sliding between parallel realities simulation and it's glitching out. Do you hear yourself right now? Maybe it's in my head, Claire, but what if it's not? Maybe none of this is real. You can accept it or be stupid and be a skeptic. Unconceivable, unbelievable, <laughs> unidentified flying objects. Welcome to a second surprise Halloween episode of the I Want to Believe podcast. I'm Nomar Slavik. The Mandela Effect has been confusing people around the world since 2009. But what is it exactly? The person who coined the term defined it as, quote, When people clearly recall an event in history something very specific, but historical records show that something else happened." End quote. Tonight, on this All Hallows' Eve episode, I'll be sharing the origins, examples, my own personal experience, some theories as to what the Mandela Effect might be, and also, we'll get into the creepier side of the phenomenon. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to first announce that for Season 6 that's coming up in 2023, we are going to try a monthly release schedule. Instead of releasing all episodes at once, we'll be putting out a new episode for every month of 2023. We hope you'll like the change, and honestly, we'll see if we like it as well. Alright, enough of that. A quick reminder that you can follow us at 207Believe on Instagram, or you can follow me as well at Slavic. Feel free to DM some show topic ideas. My latest spooktacular book, We Only Come Out at Night, <laughs> is available for purchase. This book is a collection of short horror stories and is a great companion piece for your Halloween festivities. You can get it at slavicstore.company.site or at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. Lastly, my documentary, Otherworldly Amore, has a new home. It is streaming exclusively on Paraflix Paranormal Plus. This is a subscription service much like Netflix and offers monthly or yearly subscriptions. Once subscribed, you have access to not only my documentary, but hundreds of other paranormal shows, documentaries, and even horror movies. Another great tool for harnessing your Halloween hellscape, so give it a try. By using the code OTHERWORLDLYAMOR10 at checkout, you can get 10% off your first three months. That's OTHERWORLDLYAMOR, A-M-O-R, one, zero. Alright, let's get into the curiosity that is the Mandela Effect. 
Have you ever had a memory of something so strong that you swear it to be true? What happens when hundreds or even thousands of other people share the same memory, only to discover that it never actually happened? It all started when one day I was talking with a friend of mine and they said something that confused me. They said something about Ben Franklin being president. Now, I may not be a trained historian, but I know enough to say, hey, Ben Franklin wasn't a president. This led me to look it up and see many more people convinced that he was president at some point in time. Falling down this rabbit hole, I found the core to this false memory, the Mandela Effect. In 2009, Fiona Broom, an author, researcher, and historian who has worked within the paranormal field for over 40 years, was in attendance of the annual multi-genre convention, DragonCon. Fiona was in a green room within the bowels of one of the numerous hotels that hosted different parts of the con. While in the throes of conversation with other panelists, the topic turned to the tragic death of former South African President Nelson Mandela. Numerous people in the conversation remembered that Mandela had died while in prison during the 1980s and even remembered watching portions of his funeral on television or news segments. Others remembered seeing a speech given by his widow. As this spread, Fiona was surprised that such a large mass of people could remember the same identical event in such detail when it never happened. Obviously, they were incorrect, and I wanted to provide a brief history. In 1962, Mandela was arrested and imprisoned for life for attempting to sabotage an apartheid government, which is a whites-only government with a system of racial segregation. Fearing a racial civil war in 1990, then-South African President F.W. de Klerk released Mandela from prison. The two worked together to end apartheid, and Mandela was elected president of South Africa in 1994. During and after the years of his presidency, he led numerous efforts for reconciliation between racial groups and also led charitable efforts to combat poverty and HIV-AIDS. And he's widely been regarded as an icon of democracy and social justice, even winning a Nobel Peace Prize. That is an extremely truncated version of Mandela's achievements, and there is a link in the show notes to check out more. So, surely the attendants of that Dragon Con green room remembered all that Mandela had done before his death, which was in 2013, not the 1980s. Well, yes and no. Even though some remembered him dying in prison, they also had fragmented memories of him winning the Nobel Peace Prize, his presidency, and other such honors. So, what the heck was happening with their memories? It was such a shock to Fiona that she created a website soon after to share the odd, well, memory or time slip, and to see if others had similar experiences and memories. She wrote on MandelaEffect.com, quote, 
Almost immediately, I started this website to see how many shared similar memories. Also, I was looking for a reasonable explanation for the apparent confusion related to Nelson Mandela. I wasn't trying to prove anything, not then, not now. Early discussions were flippant and whimsical, leaning into sci-fi speculation. Then the topic became serious as more odd memories were reported. Many were difficult to explain." End quote. It took a little time before the Mandela Effect really took off. By 2010-2011, it was gaining a bit of steam on Fiona's website, which then started to leak out to other paranormal websites, forums, and then it hit Reddit and just exploded. By 2016, the Mandela Effect hit such a virality, it was everywhere. On her website, Fiona mentioned a glitch that happened at CERN in 2016. She wrote on her website, quote, That was an odd coincidence with the weasel CERN glitch, though, of course, correlation does not imply causation, end quote. What Fiona is referring to is an event that occurred at CERN, and specifically the Large Hadron Collider. We'll get to that event in a second, but from CERN's website, the Large Hadron Collider is a particle accelerator. It will accelerate tiny components of matter like protons, and it will accelerate them at an incredible speed, more than 99% of the speed of light which travels in vacuum at about 300,000 kilometers per second. In regards to the Mandela effect, some people believe that the Large Hadron Collider is making parallel universes or multiverses or even a rupture of the space-time continuum every time the collider is turned on. And because of these parallel universes, there have been small and large changes to world events, media, and even to people's personal lives. The event in 2016 that Fiona was talking about was that of a rodent. Some in CERN believe it to be a weasel, and it got into an area of the collider and ended up shutting down their experiment. NPR reported, quote, engineers investigating the mishap found the charred remains of a furry creature near a nod-through power cable. The shutdown comes as the LHC was preparing to collect new data on the Higgs boson, a fundamental particle it discovered in 2012." End quote. After this event, which happened in April of 2016, a lot of people noticed an uptick in errored recollections of certain events in media. Most famously, the Berenstein Bears which many people remember being spelled with an E-I-N, though it is in fact spelled with an A-I-N. While that conspiracy blew up in 2016, reports of that particular Mandela effect can be found before 2016. For me personally, this is where I entered into the phenomenon, and I have to admit, I was a bit mind-blown at that correct spelling of the Berenstein Bears. I had always remembered it as Berenstein, not Berenstain. So as I sat in my home in Bangor, Maine in 2016, I began to dig deeper and was surprised to find a plethora of other examples. Some of those include Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. 
You probably remember Darth Vader uttering the famous line, Luke, I am your father. You might be surprised to learn then that the line was actually, no, I am your father. Most people have memories of the line starting with Luke. I'll play the line from the movie for you right now. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Okay, if you've watched Snow White, you probably remember the line, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, who's the fairest of them all? Again, you may be shocked to learn that the line actually began with the phrase, Magic Mirror on the Wall, instead. Here's a clip. Let me see thy face. What wouldst thou know, my queen? Magic Mirror on the Wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Famed is thy beauty, majesty. But hold, a lovely maid I see. Another one is a controversy over the spelling of the brand Oscar Mayer. Some people remember the brand being spelled M-E-Y-E-R instead of M-A-Y-E-R, which is the correct spelling. And one of the most well-known examples besides those bears is the collective memory of a movie from the 1990s called Shazam that starred the actor and comedian Sinbad. Shout out to Roderick Pinckney. If you know, you know. Love you, homie. <laughs> I actually remember this one myself, but no such movie exists. There was a movie called Kazam, which starred Shaq. But I and countless others remember both Kazam and Shazam. Now, while these examples are interesting and widespread, I do enjoy the stranger and creepier side of this phenomenon. And since it's Halloween, I figured this would be the perfect opportunity to share those stories. And believe me, they get weird real quick. Story number one. This was posted by Reddit user CWorthinessDo9762 in the retconned subreddit, and it's entitled Moon Glitch. Hoping someone can witness or confirm, the moon has not come out for six days. According to the Night Sky app, it has been under the horizon every night, like below ground. The night sky app is also accurately showing me where the constellations are. I can see those in the sky compared to the app. The sky has been mostly clear every night and I can see the stars. I asked a bunch of friends, but none of them have seen the moon either. I was chalking it up to the app glitching and it being a new moon recently, possibly some real local dark cloud coverage, but now it's been so long. I'm not sure. Anyone else in the Northern Hemisphere not seeing the moon? Or anywhere else in the world, really? Edit. Last night, driving home, I said, I miss the moon. I wish I could see it. Same moment. I looked to my left, and it was right there. A huge and beautiful crescent moon. 
I got home and I couldn't see it. Checked my night sky app and it said the moon would not rise for another two hours and was still under the horizon. So I drove back and the moon was no longer where I saw it and the skies were clear. Story number two. This story was posted by user Ophelia Blue, 1974, in the Retcon subreddit. It is titled Missing Evidence, and some of this story has been edited for readability. A few weeks ago, my mom showed me a bunch of greeting cards my brother and I had made over the years for my parents. One was a Father's Day card I had made my first year in college. When I read what I had written, I was gobsmacked. Let me give you some context. There was a local campground called Beaver Brook that we would often go to as a child. I could and still can picture it and all the little details that make it unique. When I was older, I worked driving a delivery truck for my dad over the summer breaks home from college. My first week, I had a delivery for Beaverbrook. This was the early 90s, so no cell phone and no GPS, but I knew the area pretty well, so directions were given by local landmarks if I didn't know the place where I was going to. But the campground I knew, so I hopped in the truck and headed to Town A to the campground. Except, I couldn't find it. So, I had to stop and call back to the store and ask for directions. My dad asked where I was so he knew the starting point. I said I was in Town A at XYZ gas station. He was like, why are you in Town A? Beaverbrook is in Town B. I was confused since I was so sure it was in Town A. But I got directions and went to Town B and made the delivery. It bothered me because I had been so sure, but it was just one of those things and I soon forgot all about it. 25 years later, my oldest, who is a teenager, now gets a job at Beaver Brook Campground. I go to drive her for her first day of work and started heading for Town B. She asked me why I was taking this particular road as she had been out there for an interview. I laughed and told her I had been driving these roads since before you were born. I didn't need GPS. I darn well know where the campground was. Except I didn't. Again. It wasn't where I vividly remember being directed to that day when I thought I knew where it was, but I had to call my dad for directions. So I turned on the GPS, and it took me to Town A. I figured I must have been confused, even though everything in me was telling me I wasn't. I would think about it whenever I dropped her off or picked her up, but that's not the end. Enter my mom, holding a stack of handmade greeting cards. I'd been teased a lot about thinking it was in Town A, and in that Father's Day card, I even made fun of myself for what a great daddy was for putting up with a daughter such as myself and listed some blunders, including saying, who knew Beaverbrook isn't in Town A, but is actually in Town B. I couldn't believe what I was reading, proof that I didn't imagine the whole thing. It did happen. I wanted to take a picture, but my cell phone was dead and I was late to pick up the kids and figured I would just do it later. 
Over the last few weeks, I have asked my mom several times if I could see the card again. She always would put me off saying she didn't have time or didn't know where she put them. Finally, I just decided to go back to her house and get the card for myself. But it wasn't there. The other cards I had looked at at the same time were there, but that one wasn't. I went through the stack several times and my mom asked me what's taking me so long and I said I was looking through the envelope but couldn't find the card. She actually got pretty mad. She doesn't like people messing around with her organization but it seemed a bit odd that she would be that upset. She said all of the cards were in the envelopes but she would see if she could find it. I suspect I will never see it again. Not because she has done anything to it, my family keeps everything of sentimental value, but because it was proof that I wasn't mistaken. I wish I had taken that picture when I had the chance, but I think if I had, it would either be missing or altered in some way. An unfamiliar voice spoke from the other side of the door. Let me Her hand reflexively grasped the knob, unable to control her own movements. The door opened. A monstrous being stood before her. She gagged at its stench and fell to her knees. It stood in the doorway. A black substance dripped from its body and puddled at its feet. It looked down at her and said, That's a good girl. Now aren't you going to invite me in? She shook her head back and forth as tears streamed from her eyes. It smiled a depraved grin revealing black, rotted teeth. It said, Still following daddy's advice about strangers. While he's in hell, he burns over and over and over again. We Only Come Out at Night, the brand new book from Nomar Slavic. 33 horror fiction stories that will remind you that what lies beyond the darkness only comes out at night. We Only Come Out at Night is available only in print and can be found at slavicstore.company.site or at the Greenhand Bookshop at greenhandbookshop.com. Story, story number three. This story was posted by user ShadowSwimmer77 in the No Sleep subreddit and is titled, Have You Ever Experienced the Mandela Effect? I Have. Uh, side note here, I will advise that the No Sleep subreddit may contain stories of fiction, just an FYI about the following story. And again, it has been edited for readability and some time constraints. The summer of 1994 was destined to be memorable for me, one way or another. My dad's youngest brother, Uncle John, and his wife had just had their third daughter. Their two older daughters, Abby and Allison, were aged nine and seven, respectively. To help the happy couple get adjusted to the new addition, my dad's older brother, Uncle Mike, offered to take the kids on a road trip for a couple weeks. 
and my parents agreed my brothers and I should go on the trip to keep my cousins and Uncle Mike company. Uncle Mike's plan was to take us up and down a good portion of the Mid-Atlantic region to visit distant family members and to see some of the sights. Danny, my 17-year-old older brother, was way too old and cool to hang out with a bunch of kids still in elementary school, but having my uncle there made it worth it for Danny going. My brother David, though I truthfully thought there was no good reason to bring him along, he was only five, and though I certainly loved him after a fashion, in my ten-year-old mind, he was the worst, most annoying little kid in the world. I argued and argued with my mom that he shouldn't come, that he would only be a hindrance, but she made no bones about it. If I wanted to go, then David would be coming too. The trip itself was amazing. We started off in Ohio at a festival run by a distant uncle who was the pastor at a local church that had rides and cotton candy, the works. We went through Harrisburg to see Hershey Park and tour the governor's mansion. We lost air conditioning on the way to the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia and spent some time with some cousins on a river ferry near Annapolis. The trip was scheduled to be 10 days long, and looking back, it's amazing the number of things we managed to see and do in that short period of time. The motorhome itself was relatively small as such things go. Sure, there was a small kitchenette, a table, couch, even a bathroom. But there was only one small bed situated up over the cabin. While we were all more than comfortable while driving, there was really no way the Winnebago could accommodate all six of us to sleep. Accordingly, my dad and Uncle John had given Uncle Mike money so we could stay at hotels along the way. For one reason or another, my Uncle Mike only wanted to stay at Marriott's. We would always reserve two adjoining rooms, one for Uncle Mike and Danny, another for us four younger kids. In the kid room, Abby and Allison would share a bed, and that meant David and I got the other. If I thought David was the most annoying little kid in the world before the trip, well now I was sure of it. I'd share a room with him at home since shortly after he was born, but at least there we had separate beds. Now his thumb sucking, he was way too old for that, kept me up late into the night. Once I'd finally managed to fall asleep, I'd inevitably get woken up an hour or two later when he'd encroach my space, his sucking and slurping practically in my ear. It was awful, and after a week, I was ready to be done with it. Our last scheduled stop was in New York City, and we got in extremely late at night. I'm not sure how many tourist groups of mostly 10 and unders have walked the streets and ridden the subways of Manhattan at 2 in the morning, but on July 8th, 1994, we made one more. As always, Uncle Mike had booked us rooms at a Marriott, specifically the one next to the World Trade Center. We slept in late that morning and toured the Empire State Building and found our ancestors' registries on Ellis Island from when they came through. We had just gotten into the base of the Statue of Liberty when Uncle Mike gave us two options. Did we want to stay in line or go back and check out the hotel pool? The vote was unanimous. We wanted the pool. I remember, among his other annoying traits, it took David a long time to change into his bathing suit. 
He was just getting the hang of tying knots, and it made me want to scream watching him fumble with the cord on his suit, refusing to let me help him. I told him impatiently that every minute we wasted was a minute less we had at the pool. It closed at 6 and it was already almost 5. But no matter what I said, he refused to let me tie the stupid thing for him. At last, David was ready and we raced to the elevator with the girls. We'd seen a number of different pool layouts throughout the trip. Some had cabanas, other diving boards, but this one was the first to have an honest-to-goodness water slide. Even better, this one had three, and best of all, we appeared to be the only guests using the pool. The pool itself was a pretty standard hotel affair, nothing to write home about, so of course we started at the slide. There were three slides and four of us. Abby and Allison claimed the first two, and I went to move to the third. David grabbed my arm, and I tugged away, and left his fingers clutching only air. I told him not to be a baby, to just come down right after me. The girls had already gotten a head start, and I didn't want to be left out of the race. I threw myself down the slide. I shot out of the pool at surprising speed. It was so fast. I could tell this was going to be an amazing last day. I pulled myself out of the water using the rails on the pool side and looked at the slide expectantly. Allison and Abby were already heading back up the stairs and I thought about going with them, but a small, very small brotherly instinct made me want to make sure David didn't need help getting himself out of the pool. I waited and waited and waited some more. I asked them where David was. Was he up at the top, too scared to come down on his own? My cousins both gave me a look of confusion. What was I talking about? Who was David? I thought for sure they were messing with me. I told them it wasn't funny to stop screwing around, to be serious. Where was David? They rolled their eyes in unison as only sisters can. They went back up the stairs, telling me they weren't going to waste pool time with dumb jokes. I stood there, dripping and flabbergasted, my eyes fixed on the slide, willing for David to emerge from one of the tubes. I waited another two minutes. The girls completed another two runs. I didn't ask them about David again. I wasn't going to play into whatever trick they were trying to pull on me. My watch read 5.06 when I finally went back up to the top, telling myself that I would find David waiting there, sniffling and trying not to cry, but alive and well. The entrance of the slide was completely vacant. The only sounds were from the girls again hitting the water far below. I went to find Danny and Uncle Mike. They were sitting in their room watching something on the television. I was barely holding back tears. Danny sat up concerned. Uncle Mike rushed to where I stood in the doorway and asked what was wrong. It took me a minute to gain my composure to explain that I had somehow lost my little brother. Neither of them knew who I was talking about. Uh, that's when I sort of lost it, screaming and thrashing. Where was he? Where was he? Why was everyone being so mean? Danny awkwardly tried to hug me, but I pushed him away. Uncle Mike picked up the phone. If it would help, he would call my parents. I yelled at him to do it. 
Abby and Allison peered through the door, eyes wide, wrapped in towels. My mom's voice was concerned as she asked me what was going on, but it had an instant calming effect on me. Everyone was being terrible, I told her. David was missing and no one would help me find him. She got quiet for a long few moments, then told me not to worry and to put Uncle Mike back on the phone. He talked to her for a couple minutes, periodically casting glances to where I was sitting on the bed. Before finishing the conversation and letting me say goodbye, my mom told me to do what Uncle Mike and Danny said and that she'd see me soon, but that David was fine and I would see when I got home. We quickly packed up the Winnebago and left. Abby and Allison stayed together on the sofa at the back of the camper, watching me nervously while I sat at the little table in the kitchenette. I didn't say a word the entire eight-hour drive home. It was after midnight, and Uncle Mike had barely rolled the camper to a stop in our driveway when I jumped out, and I rushed to the back door where my mom stood in a bathrobe clutched around her. My dad waited anxiously behind her. Where was David, I asked her, and was he all right? Gently, she took my hand and led me into the back of the house towards our room. When we entered, my jaw literally dropped. Everything was changed. My loft bed was still there, sure, but underneath where David's twin bed usually resided sat a desk covered in drawings I'd done and a small bookcase bursting with paperbacks. My mom told me it had been a very long, busy trip and that I needed to get some sleep in my own bed. She said everything would be better in the morning, but that if it wasn't, she could call to make me an appointment with a doctor. She told me that either way, I shouldn't worry, that everything would be alright. I felt something drop in my chest, just above my stomach, heavy as a stone. I fell to my knees as a gunt wrenching sob ripped through my throat, and I started shaking so hard that I couldn't manage to stop. Heartbreak and pain and guilt tore through me as I cried uncontrollably, and I think my mind broke a little bit. The next day was a Saturday, but my mom managed to call around and found a counselor with weekend hours. His name was Mr. Calabrese, but he let me call him Mr. C, and I had sessions with him twice a week for five years. We talked about a lot of different things, though David came up a lot for obvious reasons. Mr. C helped to show me that there was no way my entire family had conspired to trick me, that they loved me that somehow the memories I had of David were just false. The times when he wanted to play his stupid kitty games or accidentally broke my toys had never happened. When I would reach down from my loft bed so he could stand and just barely grab my fingers with his own, my memories of the feeling of his hand in mine weren't real, and neither was he. I've lived a generally happy, productive life since the trip. I went to college, got married, have a couple kids of my own. I still stay in touch with my parents and Danny, and dare I say it, we're very close. We take turns visiting for holidays, go on vacations to Disney World, the whole shebang. Uncle Mike died of a stroke in 2018. 
Uncle John, his wife, Abby, Allison, and their little sister, Anna, are still doing well. My mom waited a good many years to bring it up, mostly because I think she was trying hard not to upset me or mess with my therapy, but long enough down the road, she told me that she and my dad had tried for a third kid for years after me, and even had gotten pregnant when I was four and a half. She'd miscarried at eight weeks. She told me if it was a boy, they were going to name him David. Last Christmas, I was visiting my parents and went to midnight mass with them. After the service, I happened to be talking to a woman a few years younger than me whose family my parents have known for the better part of 30 years. She asked me how my brother David was doing, that she hadn't seen him since their 8th grade graduation. It took me a second to answer, but I told her he was fine and left it at that. I figured it would just be easier that way. To David, wherever you are, I hope you know that you are loved. I hope someday, as a remote chance as it may be, I cross back over to another dimension with you in it. I hope it's one where you get to meet your niece and nephew. I hope there I made a different choice and we went down that slide together. I hope it's one where we both came out the other side. That was a touching and sad final story, but I felt it merited sharing on this episode to really expose the profound effect some of these experiences have on people. Lastly, I'd like to share an odd experience that Kyle and I had. This was a few years ago when he and I were still living together. Across the street where we had been living was a large house with a U-shaped driveway. One day while we were driving, we noticed some construction was going on at the house, but I don't really recall that we could really tell if it was a renovation or some other type of project. We didn't really think twice about it and continued about our day. Fast forward a few days, Kyle and I are once again driving past the house, and it was gone, like completely, to the point where the grass had grown over the now empty lot, and you could barely see the U-shaped driveway underneath the growth. It literally stopped us in our tracks. Remembering that we were on a major road through town, we moved on, but we continued to discuss it every once in a while, especially after we drive by it. After a while, since we drove by it so often, we didn't really bring it up anymore. Since deciding to record a Mandela Effect episode, the thought of that missing house popped into my head once again. I messaged Kyle about it, and he remembered. And he said, yeah man, that was really strange. Okay, so spooky stories aside, what is actually happening here? Is it merely false memories or some type of mass hallucination? Well, according to Ivy Wigmore, who wrote an article for TechTarget.com, she said, quote, The internet has played a powerful role in facilitating the spread of the Mandela effect by sharing information 
thus allowing misconceptions and false memories to gain traction. People may form social groups or communities based on their common falsehood, causing their imagination to seem more factual." I gotta say, that actually sounds a bit dismissive to me, though I can't understand where they're coming from. However, an academic study of the Mandela Effect by a team of psychologists at the University of Chicago may indicate there's more to this mystery. One of the co-authors of the study, DePazri Prasad, wrote, quote, Evidence suggests that some people may be making consistent memory errors, even with extensive visual experience with the icon and without having experienced variants before. In sum, we revealed a set of images that caused consistent and shared false memories across people, spurring new questions on the nature of false memories. We showed the visual Mandela effects cannot be universally explained by a single account. End quote. While that certainly doesn't prove that CERN is creating parallel universes or that time slips or any other kinds of otherworldly occurrence is or could be the cause of the Mandela effect, what it does show is that to dismiss all the accounts as merely false memories isn't the best way to go about figuring out what this phenomenon is. What do you believe? And that brings us to the end of the second surprise Halloween special of the I Want to Believe podcast. Be sure to check out the first Halloween special with guest co-host Valerie LaFasso. If you can, check out my books and other projects at slavicstore.company.site. And if you want, give us a follow on Instagram at 207Believe. Happy Halloween, and thanks so much for listening. I'm No More Slavic. Slavic.